Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And for a few minutes tonight, I would like to address the young people first and all the rest of us after that. Usually it's the other way around. It's our responsibility to do their training. But I want to address the young people first and then us, and I will try to be timely tonight. I want to commend my sister Deborah for coming in the back just a few minutes ago from her family reunion and making the efforts to be here for the service tonight. Amen. It's good to see you. Now everybody knows you're here. <laughs> Lord, have mercy upon us. We call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. that you might open to us your precious word, which is more sure than your voice from heaven, that it might instruct us, warn us, and that we might hide it in our hearts that we might not sin yes. against Thee. Yes. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and for His honor and glory alone. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a rule. We'll get to Ecclesiastes 12 in a minute. Give me a few minutes to get there. I want to give you a rule to live by. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. Yes. The future is what lies ahead. The future you can't even see except by faith in the spiritual future and by maturity, the natural future. Right. It's amazing to move from 20 to 30 to 40. Yes. The perspective of a man changes so much. Yeah. You can hear an older man at 20 say, you're going to be wiser at 30. And you say to yourself, I don't know how I could be wiser. That's a fool, but that's how a 20-year-old reasons. And then at 30, you say, I know so much more than I did at 20. I was such a child at 20. I want to tell you at 40, 30 is going to look the same way. It's maturity. And with maturity, you see the future. That's why a parent can look at a child's life and see the future, and the child cannot see beyond the end of that olfactory object that they have on their face that they smell with. Because it's maturity. But it's the eye of faith that sees spiritual things that are in the future. The future is what lies ahead. Remember, the rule is never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. To sacrifice something is to take it and to destroy it. When you sacrifice something, let's pretend it's a sacrifice to the Lord for our example. We take some prized animal from a flock and we take it to the priests and we burn it up. We consume it without a benefit. We have it destroyed without a benefit to us. We could have sold it in the market, but we destroy it in order to give God a sacrifice. A sacrifice of something is to have it destroyed. So the rule is, don't destroy your future. Right. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. The present is now. The present is what your five senses are telling you you ought to be enjoying. The future is what the three chief sins are telling you you ought to be doing. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Amen. That's now. The altar is immediate convenience. Your senses and those three lusts crave fulfillment now. And they want to sacrifice the future. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. 
That means, in a blind moment of sensual pleasure, never make a decision that will take and destroy your future. And we make, what if I taught you that life is nothing but a long string of beads, if you will, and each bead is a decision we make. Do not make a decision today that's going to cost you tomorrow. Don't make a decision today by which you'll destroy your future. That's a rule. I'll show it to you in the Bible. Decisions you make today determine your tomorrows. And I mean that spiritually and naturally. And I'm going to give you lots of illustrations. And I'm not going to be long, so you can stay awake for this one. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says this in verse 1. Remember now, what, what tense would that be? Right now, the present tense, the immediate. Right, remember now, thy creator in the days of thy youth. And I want to address the youth first and the rest of us after that. Remember him now. You're making decisions every day that you walk out of here and forget him. He doesn't let you forget. He doesn't want you to forget. He says, remember. Remember now, while you're young. Remember now, thy creator in the days of thy youth. They do not last long. You think they're dragging along? They will be gone so fast and you will be looking back saying, I wish I had remembered my Creator better in the days of my youth. I can say that. David said that, Lord, forgive me the sins of my youth. And what we know of David was, all he was doing was keeping God's sheep like no shepherd ever had before and putting psalms together and learning to play on the harp, praise to the Lord. But he said, Lord, forgive me the sins of my youth. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not. And I could go on and read the rest of this about how it continues to get darker and darker. Naturally speaking, and the wise man here is describing it, and I don't care if you believe in seniors or not, this is the wise man telling you that there's no time like youth to remember your creator. Because if you'll remember God while you're young, you can have a great life. If you forget him now, how do you know you'll ever remember him? Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Do not make decisions because they might have short-term pleasure attached. You say, it sounds like the pleasures of sin for a season. That's right. It's one book written by one author. Amen. It's exactly correct. Proverbs 14 and verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. Do you want to be a prudent, wise young man? You will know your way. And every decision you make is creating your way. But a wise man looks down the road. He looks down the road and he says, This choice that I'm making right now at this Y in the road will lead me there. The Y, the wisdom of a prudent man, understands his way. A foolish man is in the second half of this verse. He deceives himself. He looks at this Y And all he sees is the pleasure to the left hand. 
And he makes that choice and deceives himself thinking, I can turn left here. I'm still young. It's not going to have any consequences. I can get my pleasure out of it and it's not going to hurt me. That is a, that is a lie. That's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from your flesh and it's a lie that Hollywood wants you to believe from this world. It's a three-way lie. The verse tells us that. But the folly of fools is deceit. Turning to the left hand is his folly. And his folly is a lie. He will not get away with it. Because he will end up going down that road. And the end of that road, if you've read the book of Proverbs, is called death. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the ends thereof are the ways of death is what the Bible teaches us. But a wise man looks at that decision he's about to make, and he sees where the way that he ought to be in, and he understands it, and he chooses that course. Regardless of the short-term pleasure that is screaming at him from the billboard directing him to turn left, he turns right because he sees the long-term reward for obedience to the Lord. Look at 21 and verse 12. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 12. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. We're all in the present right now. And the decisions that we make determine our future. Our future with the Lord, our future in our families, our future everything. Proverbs 21, 12. The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked. A righteous man wisely considers the house of the wicked. Now, if you take your take a little spin through Thornblade or Barrington Park or some of the other luxurious subdivisions in our county, a wise man will look at their prosperity, but he will look at their prosperity wisely. Right. What is the cost of that house. And the cost is not the $800,000 mortgage. Right. With the $6,000 payment. Right? I had to check on the real estate guy. Those payments. That isn't the cost. The cost is, what are they giving up to live like that? Right. The what? I love this verse. I want you to love it. Because you know what? You live in the middle of the greatest prosperity the world has ever witnessed. Ever. It's unbelievable. The castles that they're throwing up on the east and the southeast side of Greenville. Huge blocks of them. And they're nothing but castles. 21.12 The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked. They have no regard for God. They do nothing on Sunday but take care of their own pleasures and pursuits. And yet they live in a great house like that. A wise man looks at it and realizes they made the wrong choice. And that is not the way I want. Notice, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. And a wise man will see that. You'll be at that why. And you do not want to turn left, even though on the left you see the big houses and the prosperity and the pleasure and the luxury of men who've turned their backs on God. You turn right, because you know that everyone going down the left-hand way, God's going to overthrow them for their wickedness. 
That's understanding choices. You don't sacrifice the future for this thing that's attracting you to turn left. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. And yes, you can look at that house right now. It's in your face. But what you can't see is if you pursue that, that you'll have a dry and a lean soul and you'll spend the rest of your life unhappy and miserable because you'll not be walking with God even though you're walking around and patting on some very thick carpets in a very large house. You'll have lost your relationship with God using just the house as an example. Look at 22.3. Proverbs 22.3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. A prudent man foreseeth. A prudent man comes to that why in the road. And I'm not talking about, I'm not an evangelist tonight for some Arminian scheme of salvation. I'm talking about the why in the road that we meet about 200 times a day. That why. And every time we come to it, the wise man foresees. He looks ahead. He looks ahead down the left-hand side, and he sees the trouble. He sees the evil, and he hides himself. How does he hide? He turns right and runs. Because if you try to sneak down the left-hand side and not get hurt, the Lord is going to get you. And the sin down that left-hand side is going to get you, because God's going to overthrow you going down that left-hand side. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on, and what? And sometimes get away with it, and are punished. Proverbs 22.3. And it's repeated in 27.12. When I find a proverb that's repeated twice word for word, I want to read it twice. So I'll read it again. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. You're going to have situations in the present where there's something attractive that's attracting you. Ignore it and look ahead. Look ahead and make the choice for the future, not for the present. Sin operates in the present. Righteousness operates in the future. Because the more righteous and holy that we look at our objectives, the farther and farther they are out there. And I, right. Satan operates with you right now. Right now, the things that you can touch and taste and hear and smell and see. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Never make a choice that would cost you your future. Proverbs chapter 24, I'll just refer you, I'll just mention it. Proverbs 24, Solomon said, A wise man can walk by the field of the slothful. He looks at that field and he sees it all grown over with nettles. And there's fences broken down. And it's just a mess. And he looks at it and he's able to make a, he's able to make a wise observation. That man loves the snooze control on his alarm. That man in the morning hears the alarm go off and he knows he's supposed to be at work. And he hits his snooze control. And he rolls over and stretches himself a little bit. And it goes off again. He hits his snooze again. And in Proverbs chapter 24, you'll read that the wise man can make an observation. Sleep. A little sleep. Yet a little slumber. And so shall his poverty come. And he's able to see that 
by looking at the results. And do you know what the man in bed's doing? He's at a Y in the road. He's making a choice. Do I get up and go about my responsibilities, or do I sleep a little? You say, is there anything wrong with sleeping a little? According to the book of Proverbs, making a choice every day to sleep a little is wrong. That's absolutely right. Every day, when you sleep beyond when you should get up, and you make it a habit, yes, it is wrong. It's the book of Proverbs. You say, is it ever right to sleep in once in a while? Well, of course it is. But we're talking about to make it a habit. Remember, what did you set your alarm for in the first place? Because you knew that's when you should get up. But you sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. And I'll tell you something. Warm blankets and a soft bed is a very desirable present. And it's very difficult to get out of bed. But... The wise man gives us a good lesson right here, and it's a great example for us. Look at Deuteronomy 32. You say, I thought I've read the Bible through the last several years, and I've never seen the rule, never sacrificed the future on the altar of the present. Well, you didn't read Deuteronomy 32 carefully. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 29. Here's Moses. In a great song. You want, to, you want the words for a great song? It's Deuteronomy 32. And he says in verse 29, speaking of Israel, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end! Amen. Exclamation point. Wise men consider their latter end. Fools consider the present. Fools are excited about what I can do now. Wise men are always looking ahead and prepare and, and going down that way for the future. Oh, that they were wise, because they weren't. Oh, that they understood this, which they didn't, that they would consider their latter end. Now, do you know what the latter end of Israel was that he was reading, that he was singing about in his song? It's verse 30. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? That was going to be the end of Israel. One unbeliever chasing a thousand Israelites, two unbelievers chasing ten thousand Israelites. How could that happen except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? That's their latter end. And Moses is appealing to them for them to think when God did desert Israel, they would run before anything. And they did. Consider your latter end. A few weeks ago, I preached about Moses. Did he sacrifice the future on the altar of the present? No. He sacrificed the present on the altar of the future. And that's a righteous man. What did he sacrifice? The treasures and riches of Egypt and the pleasures of sin for a season. He sacrificed them. What does it mean to sacrifice something? Take it and destroy it. How did he take and destroy them? He chose to be with the people of God and to suffer the reproaches of Christ rather than to be called Pharaoh's son. He sacrificed the present. For the future. That's a wise man. 
I'm telling you tonight to remember, never sacrifice the future by some stupid short-term decision that you make right now that is displeasing to God, disobedient to your parents, and unwise and foolish. And the world wants you to do that. The entire world is bombarding you with sensual stimuli in order to get you to make short-term decisions. They don't want anyone to ever save for anything anymore. Never! Never do people save anymore for something in order to buy it. You buy it on credit. So they're always indebting the nation to a greater and a greater and a greater extent because everyone is being stimulated to go buy now. We can pay later. And they don't realize the consequences of all those bills and payments coming to home to roost. Just taking one example, it's gone. It's a lost art of saving up. You know, in the book of the, the economics taught in the book of Proverbs is so incredible. Go to the ant thou sluggard. How much credit work do they do? How much buying do the ants do on credit? Or do they work all summer storing up for winter? Remember? Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and see how he operates economically. And learn, the wise man said. Joseph made a great sacrifice, didn't he? Did he sacrifice the present? He was in Potiphar's wife's arms, in his in her grasp, and he sacrificed that for the future that we could all read about him as a great example of a godly man. And for the glory of God, he made the right choice. Look at Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Let me show you a man that didn't. Genesis chapter 25. Verse 29, Jacob's sod pottage. You say, I haven't used that in a sentence in school in a long time. You went to the wrong school. Jacob's sod pottage. I'm going to defend the Bible before I'll defend your school. (laughs) Jacob's sod pottage. I'll read it the third time. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way, Thus Esau despised his birthright. Can I get everyone in here right now to agree in your hearts that that's about the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard of in your life? How rich do you think Isaac was? Anybody want to just talk about a little bit? His father was Abraham. Who got the inheritance? All the inheritance, Isaac. I read in the Bible that Isaac sowed in a field one year and what kind of a return did he get? A hundredfold. That's 10,000%. Not even the NASDAQ high flyers are doing that. 10,000%. Isaac was rich. Do you know who was going to get it? The one that had the birthright. Esau gave it away for bread and bean soup. You say lentils or peas. 
I don't know if you Southerners are sure about the difference between peas and beans sometimes. They're lentils. Soup! Pottage! Bread! Birthright! Do you know what the Lord calls it? Despising his birthright. Do you know what the Lord calls it? Profaning his birthright. In Hebrews chapter 12, and though later he tried to seek it with repentance and tears, he was despised and rejected. That is sacrificing the future on the altar of the present. That is an example given to us in the Word of God. And we should all remember it. And every one of our children should be taught about that. How in the world could he make a choice like that? Because he was hungry. Could he have fixed his own pottage in a few minutes? Could he have grabbed a bowl of cereal and some milk out of the refrigerator? Of course. But he didn't. He gave up his birthright for a short-term fix to his lusts. And brethren, that's the kind of sins I'm talking about right now for all of us and for our children. Those lusts can range from sexual attraction to reading to music to disobeying your parents to choosing the wrong friends to speeding in your car to stealing that covers the whole thing. Will you make a dumb choice for some short-term illusionary pleasure and sacrifice your future. Esau was cut out because he did that. 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13. God did not take the kingdom away from King Saul because he didn't kill Agag. That's the second offense. God had already taken the kingdom away from Saul because he did something else wrong he sacrificed the future on the altar of the present. The Philistines gathered together a monstrous host because Saul's son was such a brave man he had gone out and wiped out a garrison of Philistines for grins. And it's not the one that we usually talk about. It's another one. He was bored one day, so he went and took on a garrison of Philistines and slew them all. The Philistines were angry and they gathered together a monstrous host. It's described in verse 5, They came together 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. That is 1 Samuel 13, 5. And when the men of Israel saw it, that they were in a strait, that means in a pickle. For the people were distressed, the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets, in rocks and in high places and in pits. They were scared. And Samuel had said, Saul, go and take on the Philistines. I'll be there in seven days as the representative of God to offer a sacrifice and we'll defeat them. And so Saul is there and the people are scared and they start to leave Saul. And he waits seven days. He waits seven days, but not quite. Not all the way to the end of the seventh day. And so he has them build an altar and he makes a sacrifice on that altar. In verse verse 8, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. His army was dwindling. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, 
Do you think the Lord knew the timing of that matter? And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And you can read the rest of this about how Samuel said the Lord has already chosen him a man after his own heart, since you can't wait. Never sacrifice the future. Do you know what this chapter tells? I don't have time. And I'm struggling right now. I don't have time. It says that Saul could have had the kingdom of Israel. It tells him very plainly. Samuel tells him to his face, you could have had all of Israel, you and your descendants. But you gave it up because you got impatient for a few minutes. You know, we tell our children many times to wait. And when parents tell their children to wait, you know what that means? It means wait. They see the future. You don't. Wait. There's more examples. What does it mean? How do we apply it? Listen, if you, let me give you some simple ones. If you're overweight, you know what that means? You want to lose weight? You're overweight, you want to lose weight. You need to lose weight. You think you need to lose weight. Whatever. I just want to try to apply the principle. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. If you're trying to lose pounds, guess what the future, the present is? The present is what we're going to have in a few minutes. The future is not losing the pounds. And we all know who've tried to lose weight exactly how that struggle goes. You have an assignment to turn in. Did you ever do this one in school? The first day of class, you're given a syllabus. Eight weeks from now, you've got a 10-page paper to do. When's the average student doing that paper? The night before. And so they're rushing through it. They don't do as good of a job as they could have done. They don't learn as much as they should have learned. And yet they turn in a shoddy paper. They could have done a much better job. But they sacrifice the future. That is, turning a paper in on time that was done well and they learned a lot for the convenience of, I had a basketball game. You're an athlete. The future is participating in the Olympics. And yes, it's a corruptible crown. But every morning, those athletes make a decision. And the Bible says their decisions are decisions we should emulate. They're decisions that they make when they're in bed. And they got to get up while it is yet dark and go train. And they make that decision by sacrificing the present comfort of the bed in order to train for a crown in the future. But the man who stays in bed sacrifices that crown for that momentary pleasure. And even while he's laying there, he's condemning himself because he knows he shouldn't be there. So he can't even enjoy the few minutes that he's there. Isn't that horrible? But it's what men do. They sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. And even the present won't let them rest in peace. Because the present is the pleasures of sin for a season. And it's deceitful and it's not satisfying. You have a car. You have a car? The future's a long-lasting engine. The present is skipping an oil change. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. I'm simply giving you illustrations to know how to apply it. You know, there used to be an ad on television that was very much like this rule. It was the mechanic holding a Fram oil filter in his hand, saying, you can pay me now three bucks. Or the camera cuts away, then it cuts back, and he's over here with your engine being pulled out of your car and a new engine being put in. You can pay me later. That's the, that's the rule. Fram didn't know it, but Fram gave us the rule. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. Three bucks now. That's the little sacrifice of not give, 
not, not allowing yourself to choose sin, and the reward, you keep that engine running forever, and you don't have to replace it. What about your parents? Your future, the future of obeying your parents is a good and long life. Did you know that the Bible says that if you'll obey and honor your parents, you'll live a long and a good life? That's the future. What's the present? You're a little upset because they didn't let you do what you wanted to do. You wanted Susie to come and play in the sandbox with you. And they said, we don't think Susie's good for you in the sandbox right now. And so you get upset at them and you don't honor your parents, either verbally, either facially, or in your heart. The Lord sees it all. And for something as dumb as Susie in the sandbox, you give up a good and a long life. That's the word of the Lord. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. Your friends, the future is your holiness and your reputation. The present is peer popularity. So you sacrifice the future of holiness and a good reputation for a few minutes of hanging around with some scumball so that you can be popular with your peers. How about dating? The future is purity and a happy marriage, but the present's short bodily pleasure. For a few minutes, you'll give up a happy marriage. What about marriage itself? Remember last Sunday? The future is joy with a virtuous woman. What's the present? Enjoying beauty and favors. You choose the beauty and favors, you sacrifice, you destroy the hope of a joyful marriage with a virtuous woman. What about watching television? The future is joy in the Holy Ghost of walking in fellowship with God. The short-term pleasure, you come home from work and you're tired and you want passive entertainment. And you make a choice by turning left for passive entertainment and you sacrifice the future of walking in the Spirit of God. You say, I can always repent later. No, the Holy Ghost will not let you do that if you make that choice going in. He'll make you grovel and crawl for your forgiveness in that matter because you did it so presumptuously without true repentance. Which true repentance is not, I'll wait till the end, then I'll repent after the program's over. There isn't any way on this planet that that can ever be construed as true repentance. Amen. You've made a choice. What about drinking? The future is sobriety and safety. And the present that men sacrifice that on is social pressure to be cool. How foolish to be measured by your peers when you're a teenager. Combined and squared, they don't amount to anything. Hate peer pressure. Love the pressure of God's word. It'll constrain you down the right side of the road. We can, we can run this example and this rule in anything that you're going to face in life. The choices we make about speech. Yes, we're all emotionally worked up sometimes. Every one of us. Sometimes in anger. Sometimes in just sheer impatience. But we're to guard our tongues. The Bible tells us to be slow. But if we don't guard our tongues, we're going to say something quickly just for the passing passion of our emotions and we'll sacrifice our reputation by saying something we shouldn't have and then we've got to try to get ourselves out of that 
when if we'd have just restrained ourselves up front by never sacrificing the future on the altar of the present, we'd be safe. Your employment, your future is progressive success. The present is taking it a little too easy. We make those choices all the time. All the time. If you're dil- you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12? It says to be diligent in business. If a man's diligent in business, the Lord will take care of him and he'll be blessed and rewarded for it. But you make that present turn, I'm going to slough off today. And it's a choice that most of the world makes most every day. I'm going to slough off today. And their poverty will eventually chase them down. What about our children, parents? The future is a godly and righteous family. But I'll tell you, when you come home tired at the end of a day, the present is peace and ease. Who wants a family conflict to have to deal with? None of us do. But if we make the choice, I'm going to choose tranquility tonight. I'm going to choose peace tonight. I'm not going to have devotions. I don't want to confront them. I don't want to discipline. I don't want to rebuke, reprove, exhort. I don't want to, I just want to relax. I'm tired. You've sacrificed the future on the altar of the present. What about your souls? The future is fatness in the Holy Ghost. The future is fruit bearing. The future is knowing that God is walking with you. What's the present? Carnal slothfulness. I didn't have time to read. I was too tired to read. I didn't feel like praying. You're sacrificing that future, that glorious future on earth, the best that it can be, of godliness with contentment with the Lord at your side for that momentary relaxation in the flesh of putting off your spiritual duties. I'm too tired to pray. I didn't have enough time. And so you sacrifice your future of fatness and fruit-bearing. Look at Hebrews 12, and I'll close. Hebrews 12. There's lots more that could be said. If you remember the rule, and remember that even the Lord himself said to remember your creator in the days of your youth, not very many do it. That doesn't mean remembering him in here on Sundays. It's a lot more than that. I wish that you would remember the song of Moses. Oh, that they would consider their latter end of what's going to happen when you make a short-term decisions and God judges you in the long run. Oh, that we would consider our latter end. But I want to show you the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you God with us. I want to show you Jehovah, God is salvation, and how he operated when he was in this world. Here's how he made choices. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. And here's what we're, we're supposed to look at him to see how he made his choices. Looking unto Jesus. I taught you about him this morning. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the rule right there. Jesus Christ saw the future. Do you know how painfully unpleasant the present was for him? 
you'll never, ever, ever have a situation that can even be compared to it in the smallest degree. The present was so horrible for him, and he knew it. But he chose to take that present for a glorious future. He saw the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? The pleasure of God. The pleasure of God. He knew what God wanted him to do, so he made that choice. He went to the cross. As I told you this morning from John 18, when those soldiers arrived in the garden, he went forth. He went forth. He sacrificed the present. He endured the pain, as it says right here. But he despised the shame. He didn't let it move him. Because he had joy that was set before him. And is there a reward for the righteous who sacrificed the present for a godly future? I read here that he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if we make the same choices for the glory of God, it is the evidence and proof that we shall be there also around his throne. And without those choices, you have no evidence that you'll be near that throne. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.